I'm still in China, which means happy pride. I am celebrating pride from afar and also ridiculously heartbroken that I am not home to see the finale of Sense8, which is pride fantastic and so queer in so many ways. I will have to just watch it when I get home. But because I am traveling and on vacation and I deserve a break sometimes, you to help celebrate pride, get a replay of my interview with Riley J. Dennis. We talk all about trans identity and trans politics and trans porn and visibility online. And it is just perfect for celebrating pride. And Patreon supporters, don't worry. I did not forget about you. If you support at the $3 level or above, every single week you get all kinds of bonus content from additional extra interviews with my guests to listener questions that I answer and soapboxing and me saying all kinds of stuff about things I feel even some erotica readings. And this week, Patreon supporters who support at the $3 level and above at patreon.com slash sex gets real, you get access to my full hour talk with Emily Quinn from Explore More Summit 2017. So this is something you can't find anywhere else and you have to buy um, to get access to. It's a phenomenal talk. It was the closing days talk from last year's Explore More Summit. We talked all about intersex issues. So Emily Quinn is an intersex advocate, um, an activist, and we talk all about what it's like to live with intersex as an intersex person and also to be fighting for intersex rights. Uh, We also talk about the awkwardness of conversations and coming out. It's perfect for Pride Month. And if you have not heard it yet, you will fall in love with Emily. So be sure to check that out. If you want to grab a synopsis of my chat with Riley, if you want links to Riley's YouTube channel and any of the other things that you might want for Riley and this replay, you can go to sexgetsreal.com slash EP173 for episode 173. So here we are with the replay from Riley J. Dennis, and I will be back next week with a brand new episode just for you. You're listening to You're listening to You're listening to You're listening to Sex Gets Real. Sex Gets Real. Sex Gets Real. Sex Gets Real. With, with Don Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. Hey you, welcome to this week's episode of Sex Gets Real. I am ridiculously excited for this episode. It is a fun chat and an unexpected chat with someone I think is really smart and putting out amazing content in the world. And that is YouTube sensation. I know she'll kill me for saying that. Riley J. Dennis. We talk all about identity policing and people wanting trans people to like prove they're trans enough or that people are bisexual enough. We talk about trans woman porn and why straight men love trans women. We talk about kind of the fears that surround um, identities that aren't hetero and cis and straight. We talk about this weird culture we have around demanding private access to people that we see online and in the media and why that's kind of really fucked up and weird. And it's just really fun and sweet and delightful. 
Also, if you're listening to this on August 6th, which is the day this comes out, I am running my next Sex is a Social Skill group call today, August 6th, and the theme is anger. We're going to be talking about a relationship with anger, when it's okay to be angry, when we hide our anger, what we were taught about our anger growing up, especially since gender plays such a huge role in our relationship with anger. So if that's the kind of thing you want to dive into and, and explore and talk about with other really rad people, then you can check out the show notes for this episode or go to sexgetsreal.com slash EP173 for episode 173 to get a link so that you can sign up and check it out. The calls are every two weeks. So we have talked about cherishing your partner and feeling cherished. We've talked about self-respect. It's a really fun place that's live on video. So you can hang out with me and just kind of like super geek out around all these things that we don't actually have a place in the world to geek out around. So let me tell you a little bit about Riley and we will jump right in. So Riley J. Dennis is a trans, non-binary, gay, polyamorous woman who makes YouTube videos about intersectional feminism, politics, queer stuff, and a whole lot of other topics. She thinks all TV shows and movies should be gayer. And one other quick note, I was testing out a new microphone when we were chatting, and so my sound is a little off. I don't love it, but it's the best that I could do with that new mic. Next week, I'm back to my standard one. So here is me and Riley having a blast. Welcome to the show, Riley. I'm so excited to have you here, and I think this is going to go amazing places. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Okay, so here's where I want to start, because it was one of the points of just, like, pure delight for me when I was watching all of your YouTube videos. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, so you have this YouTube video that's all about trans lesbians and sex, (laughs) and you were were talking about all these things that had to do with, like, sex and different ways to have, um, you know, pleasurable sexual encounters regardless of genitals and penetration, but you got this box of goodies from Adam and Eve, and you pulled out their wand, and your reaction to the power of their vibrating wand was, like... (laughs) It was the purest moment of just you, like, giggling and being shocked. I I just had to bring it up because in that moment, I was just kind of like, oh, my God, I'm totally in love with Riley. Oh, my gosh. I'm, like, bright red right now. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Yeah, I mean, I had no idea that people who have penises could use uh, massage ones. Mm -hmm. Like, just never crossed my mind. And then I got all those things from Adam and Eve, and I was like, oh my god, how has no one ever told me about this before? Like, Yeah. Yeah, there was some really good toys in that box that they sent you. And there so... was. They keep sending me cool things, and now I'm just overflowing with sex toys, and I don't know what to do with all of them. <laughs> you could start, like, an installation on your wall. Just Literally. Like, <laughs> Here you go. All the things that can go places and buzz. <laughs> yep, exactly. And now I'll just have them out, so every time people are coming over, it's like, hey, look, here's my entire sex toy wall. <laughs> One of my other favorite parts of that video was they sent you a bed restraint system. <laughs> And you were like, so this tucks under your mattress, and you can, like, attach it to people's wrists and ankles. You can tuck it under your mattress, or you can just leave it out. And when people come over, be like, oh, hey, this is where I have sex with my girlfriend. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not that subtle. It's <laughs> it's just like it's. Uh. Some people are super into that. I actually. Just the other day, I don't know why I did this, but my, so my husband's really good with rope. And so okay. we pretty much just keep like rope tied to the corners of our headboard so that like oh if we're in the middle of something, he can just like, you know, tie up my wrists. Yeah. yeah. And I had a, a maintenance person coming over and I like looked at the bed and for some reason I thought, oh, two ropes on the headboard is way too obvious. So I'll just take one of them off. What? And so I took one off, and then he, like, came over, and literally while he's in there working on my closet, I looked at the bed, and I was like, why did I think leaving one was a good idea? <laughs> Amazing. You're yeah. like, we, we have kinky sex, but only, like, kind of half on the side. Like... Right, yeah. Like, no, this is for my morning stretches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've definitely, um, like, left just a bunch of stuff all over the floor because I'm messy. And, like, people came to inspect my apartment just, like, through the apartment complex. They were, like, checking everyone's rooms. And they just walk into my room and, like, look around and just walk out. And I'm Ooh. like, don't mind all of that. <laughs> just... at, at least you know I'm having fun. Legit. <laughs> so... Oh. I found you because you do these amazing videos on YouTube, <laughs> and while there might be mixed opinions on YouTube itself, I, I like thoroughly endorse so much Thank of you. what you put out. You're welcome. And <laughs> you talk about all kinds of stuff, right? You talk about oh, yeah. feminism and sex and yep. politics and um, trans issues and like identity policing and oppression. And so for anyone who has never seen your videos, like kind of what is the thing you most want people to think about when they first show up on your channel? Ooh, whoa. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Like I, I, I actually try pretty hard to not have like a, a specific focus. Like the, the general theme of my channel is like social justice through an intersectional feminist lens. So it's like um, just any, any topic that affects marginalized people and, and why we should care about it. Um, but I, one of the things I try kind of hard to do is to not pigeonhole myself into one like thing. Like I think a lot of people, when they think of my channel, just think of like trans rights or trans issues or whatever. Um, and I do talk about that a lot, like that's <laughs> for sure. But I, I try to not make that like the main thing that I do. Um, and I try to do a lot of videos on politics and like other aspects of my life. Um, just cause I, I really don't want to end up doing like one specific little thing mm -hmm. for my whole time on YouTube, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I think like the diversity of the things that you've discussed make for a much richer experience. You know, it's like, there's lots of little good nuggets and surprises and yeah. interesting people that you talk to. So it actually seems like a really fun thing that you get to do. I mean, I really like it. And I, I... I mean, there's there's just so many intersections of things that it feels like I'm leaving stuff out. If I'm like, here, let's talk about this thing, but like pretend that disabled people don't exist. Like, mm -hmm. I want to try to talk about all of those intersections as much as I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you had a couple of videos that just like made my heart super happy and we were talking about like all the things we wanted to geek out about which honestly like could probably fill like four hours it's a long so list yeah it's a long list so we'll just see like where we end up in the next like 50 minutes cool. and then if we just like have so much fun we can always do another one um <laughs> but i kind of want to start with 
pretty recently, within the past couple of weeks, you put out a video that was a little bit longer, and it was kind of talking about some of the things that you personally had been going through. And oh, yeah. one of the themes for that was definitely this, there's this culture on the internet where we've kind of, for some reason, um, decided that it's okay to demand private information from people who are putting uh. content out in the world. <laughs> Yeah. And right. And so and like I get this a little bit and just that I think a lot of people they've been listening to me for three and a half years and they know so much about like my sex life and my marriage and the things yeah. that I've tried <laughs> that it kind of feels like they have a complete picture of me. But in fact, it's just a percentage of me mm -hmm. or a part of me. And so I know you were kind of talking about Absolutely. how, you know, you make decisions on what parts of yourself you want to share with the world and what parts are just really for you. But then there's kind of this culture, especially on YouTube, where people feel like they deserve <laughs> to know your most private, intimate details and they deserve answers. And if you don't give them to them, then you're a liar. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'd love to just kind of like talk about that uh. a little bit. Like, like, I think mostly what I just want people to know is like you're not entitled to anyone's personal information and you never have the full story. But like right, what's kind yeah. of been your experience in that realm? Well, I mean, one of the things I'd seen a lot of people talk about is kind of um, the the side of when you have like fans who demand that information, like fans who really, really love you, but they think that they know you and they, they think that you're like their best friend. Because I mean, a lot of the whole YouTube persona that a lot of people have is like we are friends like me the video maker and you the what like viewer are friends um and it's like an illusion to a large degree um it's like you can have a, a good relationship with your viewers but they're not your friends in the sense that they don't really know who you are in real life they know the side of you that you put online and so i i've seen a few youtubers talk about that in terms of like their fans not understanding that they have a life outside of YouTube um, and that the like the creator viewer relationship isn't the same as knowing someone in real life. But what I've experienced a lot more of is not people who like me and appreciate me thinking that they deserve more information, but people who like detest me thinking that I owe them information about my life to somehow like prove who I am or what I'm talking about. Um, usually related to trans stuff, right? Like if I say that I'm trans, they're like, well, show us your hormone bottles and your, like the times you go to the doctor and your diagnosis for gender dysphoria and your plans to have surgery. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's just so wild to me that strangers think that I owe them that information. That's mm -hmm. like, a, and a lot of it is like very private medical stuff that I would never demand of like anybody like not even like friends probably like yeah yeah I, it's I, yeah and then like i think what's so fascinating is you know when you take a step back right like what are the identities that we don't demand proof of yeah and then what are the identities where we demand proof and then what does that say so like we don't demand that cis folks prove that they're <laughs> cis and that their gender aligns with yeah. you know what they were assigned at birth and we don't demand proof that someone is you know a cis man or whatever it is but then to demand proof of someone's queerness or their transness i think is like 
it just really highlights I think where a lot of the oppressive kind of thinking is in that in that like you can't be trans unless I have proof otherwise I get to doubt you yeah exactly and I mean people do it for anything that's outside of the norm like any kind of queerness like if you say that you're bisexual like people usually doubt it like to a strong degree and will like want proof that you've dated both genders and like still are attracted to both genders like it's or not both but like multiple Mm -hmm. and it's it's just wild to me like people who have whatever identity is the norm it's they act as if they have no identity like it's just because they're the default they don't have to think about why they're straight or cis or any of that, and so they don't have to prove any of it. Uh, it's just the the mindset be- behind like cis, straight, white, abled, like mm-hmm. skinny being the default is like everything outside of that you have to prove it. Yeah, I know that I've really um, just kind of like on my own personal level had to grapple with that a little bit where like, um, you know, for years I just assumed I was straight because I had crushes on boys all through college (laughs) and stuff. But then like in my early 20s, I ended up in a relationship with a cis woman. And so I started really kind of identifying with lesbian culture and dyke culture and like Mm -hmm. that felt really good. But then... I ended up in a relationship with a trans person, and so then I was like, I don't think lesbian fits anymore, but I don't know what Mm. does, but, like, I'm definitely still part of the queer community, (laughs) and then, like, I ended up marrying a cis guy, and I had a lot of shame around, like, how can I prove to people I'm queer if I'm in a relationship with a cis guy, and it was this, like fear that I was going to lose community, fear that people were going to, like, take my queer card away, you know, (laughs) fear that people were going to doubt my experiences, and also just realizing, like, the inherent privilege that comes with being able to be super straight passing, you know? And so, like, it's just this weird thing. Yeah, well, I mean, in in that sense, like, in in the erasure of of bisexual people, I think it's it's super shitty that, like, if bi people end up in, like, a straight quotation marks relationship um that they're like oftentimes not considered queer enough or like not accepted at pride or whatever i mean it's it's a lot of the same thing of like if a non-passing trans person like if a trans woman passes as a guy people say that they she has like male privilege or male passing privilege and like to a degree Mm -hmm. um she probably does have male passing privilege but also there's a lot of other shit that comes with that and it's not nearly the same as male privilege and in a lot and the same way i don't think like being in a bisexual person in a hetero relationship gives you like hetero privilege because mm-hmm. you're you're not you're not that that person like you can't have straight privilege and not be straight um but yeah no you're right that there is like a, a degree of of privilege and passing but i don't know the 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 need to like have people prove it is mm-hmm. just bonkers to me so so I'm glad you used passing because that's something that I think is another way of kind of forcing people to prove something about themselves. Oh, yeah. And so within kind of like the realm of trans identities, there's mm-hmm. there's very much this obsession with whether or not people pass yeah. as if one passing is something everyone wants and two Mm -hmm. as if that's kind of the end goal for all trans people and then kind of this i think there's definitely this cultural narrative that if you don't pass then somehow you're failing yeah no totally i mean we just it's so ingrained in us that there's like two groups like there's men and women and it's it's impossible to to like separate that out of your head because it's not just like 
some grouping that we have it's like we say it all the time like when you say hello to a group you say like ladies and gentlemen like we don't have honorifics that aren't sir or ma'am like it's so hard to think of it as anything but like two very distinct groups and so when someone doesn't when someone transcends those groups or is in between them or is moving between them or, or whatever it just like blows people's minds and they don't know how to handle it or how to classify it <clears throat> So for people who aren't familiar, which, what a lovely thing, or weird thing, I guess. <laughs> for people who aren't familiar of, like, what it's like to have your identity policed. Um, yeah. You know, I know queer folks get policed all the time of not being queer enough, or mm -hmm. being too queer, or certainly <laughs> trans and non-binary folks. And then also with, like, folks that have invisible disabilities of, like, well, oh, you're yeah. not part of the disability community because I can't see your disability. So mm -hmm. can you just talk a little bit about kind of, like, policing of identities and ways that that shows up? As far as trans stuff goes, I think a lot of people who, like, outwardly say that they support LGBT rights and, like, don't really consider themselves bigoted or whatever, like, in theory, support trans people, and then in real life, kind of forget that trans people exist mm -hmm. um, and kind of go about their lives as if they don't exist. Like, I, I run into people um, who just immediately, uh, like, assume I'm a man, and it's not with, like, ill intention. Like, it's not... They're not being mean, uh, but they're not considering the fact that, like, this person could be trans, and they just make a lot of assumptions right off of that. And, I mean, that's just kind of a problem in our in our culture. I mean, I assume people's gender immediately mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time, but I, I try to use, like, they pronouns and stuff as much as I can um, to be gender neutral in general. But, like, <clears throat> the... Yeah, so so in that regard, I think a lot of allies, like accidentally police people's gender because they're just mm -hmm. like oh you don't look like that like you don't look like the stereotype of a trans person that i have in my head like you don't look like a man in a dress wearing a ton of makeup on the side of the street which is like the depiction of trans women yes. we always see as like sex workers yeah um and so if you don't look like that uh people are like but are you really trans like I support this stuff, but I, I, you don't look like it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, it kind of circles back to, to that, like, proof mm -hmm. of, you know, one way that we police people's identities is in needing them to prove to us in some way that they are who they say they are. And so, yeah. you know, like, for bisexual folks, that's if you see... Um, a masculine person kissing a feminine person, you might make the assumption that they're straight and yeah. you need proof that they're not in some way. <laughs> exactly. It's not good enough for them to just say, like, I'm bisexual. It's like, oh, have you ever dated a woman or, or dated a man? And what was that yeah. like? And how many? And, you know, like, I need you to prove to me that you're bisexual. It's not good enough for you to just say, here is my identity. And, yeah. And I think that kind of like goes to a lot of the stuff you talk about where like ultimately identity is really about ourselves and how mm -hmm. we are experiencing our lives. But in our culture, identity is often kind of used as more of this like external validator of if I can't see your identity, then it <laughs> must not be true. Yeah. And what I get from a lot of people is I feel like there's a fear that people are lying like, they're like, oh, well, what if you're just lying about being trans and, like, I have to use these pronouns for you and, like, it's it's wrong or whatever. But, I like, I've never actually seen that happen. Like, I haven't, I don't know where all these, like, cisgender people pretending to be trans people are, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and, and even if it does happen on, like, a very small scale, I don't see the problem of people saying that they're, like, one thing that they're not. Like, <clears throat> but also, I mean, I don't... 
I don't think it is a problem of people pretending to be trans or pretending to be bisexual or whatever. Um, but I don't, I don't know. People have such a fear of just being lied to about that stuff. And I don't fully understand why. You know what just totally hit me while you were talking hmm. was you were saying, you know, like people have this fear that like they're lying about their identity. And yeah. so it's kind of like needing the proof, even if it's the super small percentage. And that totally made me think about how whenever you're talking about rape culture and believing victims you always get the people who are like but some people lie about rape and that's like that becomes the entire narrative it kind of Mm -hmm. like their fear of this tiny percentage of people who lie about being raped becomes the full story and it's kind of this like fear mongering that totally disrupts the conversation so now we're not focused on victims anymore we're focused on this super tiny percentage Mm -hmm. of people that often doesn't have a lot of proof and it's the same thing around like trans identity right of like the vast majority of trans people aren't lying exactly right And, (laughs) and and even if they were like i don't feel like that hurts anybody you know, mm-hmm. like, if, oh, no, you have to use different pronouns. Like, I'm so sorry. That's so hard for you. <laughs> like, I just don't feel like it's that that much of a burden on other people, even if yes. it were happening. One of the things, I mean, when people, uh, well, I get it a lot from actually trans trans people themselves is like, you can't speak on this because you're not actually trans. And oh. I feel like there's a lot of intra-community policing in that aspect that like, trans people often feel like they earned their spot like they had to suffer they had to do all of this stuff um they were treated like shit by everybody and so now they're they're there they've made it and they have to do that to everyone else you know it's like a hazing thing like i've made it and now i have to treat you like shit until you prove that you've made it as well that's fascinating. I um, I just finished reading this book called The Remedy, Queer and Trans Voices on Health and Healthcare okay. um, by Zena Sharman. And it's an amazing book. And I actually just had Zena on the show a couple of weeks ago. Oh, cool. But um, one of the essays in the 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 book is called Trans Grit by Cooper Lee Bombardier. And it's this wonderful little essay about Cooper's experience of becoming a trans curmudgeon. And a that curmudgeon? yeah, a curmudgeon. And that like Cooper became trans at a time when like you had to go to Mexico to get illegal hormone doses and Mm. people were using like silicone from the home depot to give themselves fillers in their cheeks and in their ass so that they could pass as trans women and and so in this very very terrible time for trans folks and and so cooper's talking about how um they were sitting around a fire and all of these like out of this camp and these younger trans guys were talking about like their struggle with their transness was not being able to find clothes that fit and um mm-hmm. you know not always having their gender pronouns recognized and cooper was kind of talking about how like their knee-jerk reaction was this like you don't know how good you have it i fought so hard and so many friends died and you don't know where we've been and then the very end of the essay kind of ends with what a luxury that i get to be a curmudgeon because it means we've had progress absolutely oh yeah no there's there's such a generational gap Mm -hmm. i mean i see that from all the time all the time from older trans women i mean i know a lot more trans women than trans men but um older trans women who are particularly detestful of like non-binary people um and and 
like because they transitioned in a time where transition had to be very binary like mm -hmm. to get the hormones and surgeries that you wanted you had to say like I am a man who wants to become a woman. Like that's what you had to tell your therapist. It's like what you had to do. Mm -hmm. um, and our views have evolved over time, but these people had to go through that like really traumatic experience mm -hmm. and feel like everyone else has to as well now. And, yeah. but it's, I, I, it makes me happy that we've come that far and that mm -hmm. people uh, don't have to go through that anymore. And I don't think that minimizes the struggles that people still have to go through today they might not yeah. be as bad as they were before but i mean like shit's still happening right exactly and 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 i think it's just such a wonderful thing for us to recognize like there is still tremendous suffering in parts of the world in certain communities there was tremendous suffering in the past mm -hmm. and those are such valid traumas and terrible things that no one should have to go through yeah. and like yes some people had to fight tooth and nail for decades and decades and decades to get recognized and like there's no erasure of that and mm -hmm. can we celebrate that for a lot of people, it's not this huge suffering experience anymore. That it's yeah. that it's not something that they feel like they have to go all in on because there is that opportunity to stay kind of in an ambiguous place or to mm -hmm. be trans that doesn't take hormones or get mm -hmm. surgery or whatever it is. Like to me, that feels like a, a, a wonderful movement. But I think people <laughs> have trouble keeping holding space for multiple truths. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's difficult, especially when you feel like you've been hurt and, mm -hmm. and other people don't have to go through that. It happens in all sorts of communities. Like, there are gay people who feel the same way. They see young gay people coming out and having no problem with it and feel kind of resentful about it. There are, like, people who immigrate to the United States and then become very anti-immigration because they're like, well, I got here, like, fuck the rest of you. Mm -hmm. um, it, it happens in all sorts of marginalized groups where there's certain people who just have a strong backlash against it. So I would love to kind of take what we're talking about and shift just a little bit right. to a video that you did that um, <clears throat> I, I will just say up front that for people who are um, new to asking some of these questions or who don't have a lot of queer and trans people in their lives, um, this may make you super uncomfortable and I want you to be fucking Ooh. uncomfortable. So <laughs> let's just be uncomfortable and like love that it's uncomfortable because you did this great video around <laughs> genital preferences and transphobia. Yeah. And this is something that I've kind of touched on a couple of times in the past. It's certainly something that like I've lived my way into as a truth. And mm -hmm. so I loved what you said in that video. And I was wondering if you would just kind of um, share maybe like a quick recap of what you said in that video or kind yeah, of just like sure. a high level, you know, how you feel <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are so, so many aspects to it. So I, I can't cover it all because people come up with all sorts of questions about it but basically um my my first argument i made a few videos about it and my first kind of general argument was that discriminating against trans people in your dating life um is just pretty shitty like saying like i would never date a trans person because trans people are so diverse and have different genitals and like different secondary sex characteristics and all this stuff like you could never know like what a trans person looks like without actually meeting them um and then kind of the pushback I got from that was like, well, I just don't want to date people with a penis or I don't want to date people with a vagina. 
Um, and kind of, uh, it, it was very tied into sexual orientation. So like a lot of people were saying like, uh, if you're a straight man, you are not attracted to trans women because they have a penis. Well, not all of them, but like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, if you're a lesbian, you're not attracted to trans women because they have a penis or other male characteristics. Um, and like vice versa for trans men, but most of the discussion has been around trans women. I don't know in general, in trans discussions, trans women are centered more than trans men, but, um, yeah. So in that, um, it became very tied into sexual orientation, um, straight men and lesbians feeling very defensive and saying like, I don't like trans women, like keep them away from me. And I pushed back against that because I think. Um, it's possible that a large chunk of our socialization is transphobic to a degree, like it's, it's or it's cis sexist, like yes. it places um, cisgender as like the ultimate and the perfect and the goal and anything deviant from that as unattractive and gross and dirty. Um, in the same way that that happens with so many other aspects of our lives, like how we place whiteness above dark skin, how we place being abled above being disabled, um, how we place thin bodies over fat bodies, um, all that kind of stuff is socialized to a large degree. Um, and I was making the argument that it's often the same thing for genitals. Um, kind of what my argument got misconstrued as is you have to like penis or you have to like vagina. Of course. Um, which is which is not something that I've ever said. It's something that people claim I said a lot, but I've never said that. Right. Um, I just think a, a lot of the times people um, don't actually like detest penis to the degree that they do. They just think that they do because they've been socialized growing up that like women don't have penises. So any woman who has a penis is gross. Um, and they've just never tried to question that or move outside of that. Um, and I just get such, such pushback from that because people are, are so defensive and think that I'm trying to like destroy lesbianism and like make lesbians have sex with trans women. And it's like, I really don't care what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not trying to get lesbians to have sex with me. Like I, <laughs> I don't care. I'm just telling you that you might have some internal bias. Like you might have some implicit bias and you might have some stereotypes about trans people that aren't true. And one of the things that, that makes this the most obvious to me is that when people talk about straight men and they're always like straight men don't like trans women. If you like a trans woman, you're gay, whatever. Um, first of all, when you say that, you're, if a, uh, there's a whole discussion around gender and sex, because yeah. if you're a straight man and you're dating a woman, uh, then you're that, seems straight. Pretty, that seems pretty straight to me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Even if it's a trans woman. And, and so people get into this whole thing of like, well, your sexual orientation is just based on the genitals of the other person. So like, then it's a gay man. And I just find that to be ridiculous. Like, I don't think, uh, we always talk about it in terms of gender. Like women liking women is pretty lesbian. Men liking men is pretty gay until you bring in trans people. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. It's females attracted to females and males attracted to males. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah. And so, but one of the things I always see is that every trans woman I know has tons of straight guys who will like publicly to their face be like, you're so gross. You're disgusting. I'd never be gay and have sex with you. And then they all slide into their DMS and are like, Hey, do you want to hook up this weekend? Yes. Like, oh my gosh. Straight, straight men fucking love trans women. Like, I, I don't know how to say that any clearer. Like there are, are so many in my inbox. 
um, constantly, and I don't even like dudes. Like, I make it pretty clear that I'm not attracted to men, and yet men constantly message me. And the, to with for straight trans women, like trans women who are attracted to men or bisexual trans women, like they get that so much more. But these same men, when asked publicly about it will be like you know like that's gross dude i've never do that that's gay you know <laughs> like and and we have so many documented instances of men sleeping with trans women in secret and then the moment it's public they flip and they murder her or they beat her or whatever and that happens all the time all the time like very recently there was a guy who like stabbed a trans woman 119 times um, and because their relationship was revealed yeah. and, and he just, or because he found out that she was transgender and like people just have such a visceral reaction to like trans people and, and no one's willing to confront that. Yeah. Um, but because I know that straight men like will hate trans women publicly and then want to have sex with them privately. Like I know that there's socialization behind that. Yeah. Like there's a reason you think that this is socially unacceptable, but also like you kind of want it. Mm-hmm. And I find it hard to believe that that doesn't happen for lesbians either. Yeah. Like I, I, I know lesbians who are attracted to trans women. Like it's not, it's not a myth. You right. know? Um, and so I don't think that asking people to examine their internal biases and try to, to tease out if what they think is based on a stereotype or a socialization or a bias um, is a bad thing in any way. I think it's, it's actually all of our responsibilities to constantly be examining our own biases. Yeah, that's something I've talked about on the show a couple of times. And I actually had um, this super rad, queer, fat sex worker named Kitty Stryker on the show last year. And she was talking about how we have a responsibility to examine our um, attraction preferences and also our sexual fantasies in that, like, we don't need to have shame around them. But if our sexual fantasies are all about reinforcing, like, really harmful Mm -hmm. narratives, then let's just start gently asking questions about why where'd that come from what's that mean because we have a responsibility to do that and so i think what you're saying is exactly that of like you don't have to decide either one you're a terrible person or two that you have to change something but Mm -hmm. like what if we just started asking where did some of this come from like maybe the fact that you don't like fat bodies is because everything you're surrounded by in media and TV and culture tells you that fat bodies are jokes and unwanted yep. and you mm-hmm. only see thin bodies as sexy. Exactly. That that happens all over the place with, right. with fat people and trans people. Like the only depictions of trans people like I've ever seen are like as sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like on a cop show after they get murdered by a John or whatever. Like, and it just... Uh, the fact that there's never trans women depicted as being attractive, I feel like has to play some sort of a role. Like if you grew up and you're like, oh, like, look at these trans women, they're so hot. Like, I feel like when you grew up, you'd have a more positive reaction towards trans women. Or like the handful of trans women that we do see as very popular and visible in the media, like Janet Mock and Laverne Cox are Mm -hmm. like, ultra feminine and super passing and have talked about their surgeries and so it's almost like they tick all the boxes to suddenly become acceptable yeah they're they're a good trans like they're um they're an they're an exception like people always like to have their whenever people discriminate against a group there's always exceptions so that they Mm -hmm. can say that like they're not whatever like 
people who are extremely racist will always have like one back black friend and be like, well, mm-hmm. I can't be racist because I have this black friend and people do the same thing with trans people. They'll be like, oh, well, I have this one trans person who agrees with me or who checks all of the boxes or whatever. So like, that's what a trans person is and not you. Right. And, but so when it comes to um, sexual preferences and like fantasies and all of that, I like people just seem to uh, be so defensive about it to the degree where it's like, I, I could never question my sexual preferences like it's just so innate it's so like inside of me since the moment i was born and trying to change that is like horrible to me uh Mm -hmm. like people have accused me of advocating conversion therapy um, because because well they think that's what it is like trying to change their sexual preferences and i mean i've been pretty clear that conversion therapy is like really fucked up and like a form of torture and not cool but this isn't conversion therapy it's just asking people to examine their biases yeah exactly because like i mean i think what is making so many people really uncomfortable is like for instance i get a lot of emails from people who are in their you know, mid to late 40s, sometimes late 30s or early 50s, who have been married for 20 years and have two or four kids. And they've Mm -hmm. just kind of realized, like, I think that I've been queer and just trying to deny it, or I think I might be Mm -hmm. gay. And there's a tremendous amount of pain in realizing that maybe Mm -hmm. the identity that I've had for 40 years doesn't fit me anymore. And I think Mm -hmm. it comes from a lot of these social stories that we have around you're born a certain way, you stay that way, your identity is your identity, and if it Mm -hmm. changes, then you are lying or you are hiding (laughs) from something, instead of recognizing that actually a lot of the things that contribute to our identities are so, so based on the experiences we have, the people we know. I mean, you might be think you're straight, like I did, until you meet a woman, and then you're like, holy shit, like, <laughs> sex with someone that has a vulva is pretty rad, you know? And then, like, yeah. okay, so now I have to kind of question some things, and that, like, our identities can be a lot more fluid, but I think that's scary for people because mm-hmm. then that means we have to live in a place where we're comfortable with uncertainty, yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. I mean, people never think about those who come out super late in life. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people who don't come out as gay or bisexual or trans until their 40s or 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard of some trans women who transitioned very, very late in life. And it's like, they'll say that, um, like, the, the very common narrative is like, oh, I knew it from when I was four or whatever. But so many people are just like, I didn't know what was wrong. Like, something felt weird, something felt off, but I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or just had no idea until they were exposed to like, this is an option. And they were like, whoa, Mm -hmm. shit, that's an option. Like, are you serious? Like I can, I can be that. Yeah. Uh, It's just wild. Yeah, it is. And like kind of circling back to the genital preferences, I think Mm -hmm. so much of that also goes to everything that we're told in our culture and everything we learn is about Mm. very specific kinds of sex being acceptable Mm. and when we start kind of breaking that apart which is like 90 percent of what i do on this show of like sex (laughs) is not penis in vagina intercourse it is one of like ten thousand different things 
Mm-hmm. And and so I think that that also makes people uncomfortable because now they have to start kind of rewriting the stories about what sex even looks like. And so if I'm rewriting mm-hmm. the stories around sex, then maybe that starts rewriting some of the stories around like genitals and what role they play. And and yeah. I think that those are some like really big scary questions for people sometimes. But like you're so right that when we're talking about being attracted to men or women, usually what we're doing is saying certain types of genitals are acceptable to me and other types of genitals would would label me something I'm not comfortable with and so I have to reject them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of the discourse within, like, lesbian communities is, like, just anti-penis, mm-hmm. like, as a point of pride um, because, like, penis equals man. And, like, I get that. Like, I get rejecting, like, heterosexuality um, and, like, taking pride in being hella gay. But I, I think there has to be recognition that, like, there are women who have penises and that that kind of language is very can be very harmful to them. Yeah. Um, and, and what you were talking about with sex, um, I think one of the, the best analogies that I could find when I was trying to talk to people about, like, examining their own biases is how a lot of straight guys won't put anything in their ass because they think it's gay. And they just, like, believe that so vehemently, and they're like, I would never like it, that's disgusting, like, keep it away. And then if you, like, tell them that it feels good and, like, you, like, talk about it, and eventually they're like, okay, I'll try it. Like, a lot of straight guys really enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Like, really enjoy anal. And that wasn't conversion therapy. Like, you didn't convert them (laughs) into enjoying anal. It's just you got them to examine their biases and to try it and then they liked it and like the exact same thing could be happening with trans women like you could be despising trans women and then if you actually tried getting with a trans woman who you found attractive you might actually enjoy it and and when you talk about kinds of sex that we have um you're right that's so everyone assumes that sex is just penis and vagina so like if i'm having sex with a trans woman who has a penis it means that she's going to be penetrating me and i'm like no like a lot of trans women don't like penetration and have very different kinds of sex Mm -hmm. and that just doesn't seem like an option to people like they think penis equals penetration yeah so i think if we could even just rewire how people think about sex that would help so much exactly like you were saying and like people's need to have a certain genital yeah, because, like, hands, mouths, and toys work for right. all kinds of bodies. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, because, like, even yeah. when we, like, go beyond that, right? Like, insisting that sex is penis and vagina intercourse is also super ableist and ageist. Oh, yeah. Right? Because, yeah, yeah. like, that's just not accessible to us when we're in certain ages with certain bodies that have certain things that have happened to them over the years or, mm-hmm. you know, because of surgeries or because of whatever kind of capabilities our bodies may or may not have. I mean, like, there's just so many people for whom that kind of sex does not work, and yet it's yeah. still, like, the presiding definition for sex in our culture, which is just, like, bonkers to me. Oh, yeah, and it's just extremely heteronormative. Mm-hmm. Like, gay people and lesbians and bisexual people are out here having sex that's not penis and vagina, like, all the time. <laughs> like, all the time. Right, and studies show that lesbians have way more orgasms than heterosexual mm-hmm. people. Exactly, so let's, yeah. Let's just think about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, like, just kind of going back to the, like, you might be, like, if you're a cis dude and mm-hmm. you find out that this woman that you're dating is trans, you know, I, I almost feel like it's less about the individual needing to decide that they're okay with trans women and more about the individual feeling terrified of their social currency changing. 
Oh, absolutely. That is such a factor. <laughs> I think there's so many people out there who would be like, oh my god, this woman I'm dating is amazing. And then if they found mm-hmm. out she was trans, maybe would kind of be like, oh, like what's that mean for me? Is Does that change things? Do I need to do things differently? And mm-hmm. that's a very like internal experience. But then I think as soon as you... St- it's the same with like fat people, right? Of just like, mm-hmm. oh my god, if my friends find out, what are they going to say? I'm not going to yep. be like popular anymore. Everybody's going to make fun of me. I'm going to become bullied. And it's kind of like, yep. well, you're kind of describing the way that this other person experiences their life and saying I can't handle that but then that that fear of kind of the social rejection and like currency drives people to all kinds of terrible like terrible traumatic behaviors including up to like violence and murder yeah no that that happens all the time like exactly the social currency thing you're talking about trans women get murdered for that Mm -hmm. and um yeah, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah. You're just but like, you're, you're just, you're right. You're, you're right. You're right. Like, yeah. Well, I like being right, so I'll take that. <laughs> so um, there's one other thing that kind of in this realm that I want to touch on with you. Mm-hmm. And it is. So there's a couple of places I've gone with this in the past, but I'm really excited to go here with you. Okay. I periodically get emails from cis guys who... Huh. You know, their email is kind of, you can feel it's this, like, whisper in the dark that they're hoping, like, no one will ever know they sent. And, you know, and and it's this, like, hey, I like shemale porn and trans women (laughs) porn. What does that mean? Uh, And there's this, like, deep distress in... Oh, yeah in liking porn with trans bodies. Now, in the past, I've definitely talked about how, like, mainstream porn that's labeled shemale is super problematic, right? Like, it's so, so problematic and, like, just reinforces so many of the really, really harmful trans stories and narratives that Mm -hmm. we have. And so, like, to me, it's a little bit different if you're watching, like, mainstream, you know, in quotes, shemale porn on, like, Mm -hmm you know, Pornhub versus if you're watching like trans women in crash pad series or, you know, Chelsea Poe or something like that. Like that's a little bit different, but you know, you kind of were talking about how, like, if you're dating a trans woman, like that's a woman, so you're still straight. And so Mm -hmm. can we just kind of unpack this a little bit? Cause I, I, there's so many people out there who are like, Oh my God, it must mean something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, there's, in, in in terms of porn and fetish, fetishization, like, just the very fact that all of the porn that's about trans women uses, like, slurs against them, Ugh, like, shemale or tranny or whatever, like, that's always what the porn is called, and those are, like, literal, like, slurs. Yes. Like, just <laughs> the very fact that to look it up, you have to use, like, a very insulting, demeaning, dehumanizing word, mm-hmm. um, I think says a lot about it, and, and puts certain thoughts in your mind when you're looking it up that like these people are worse than like normal quotation people right um and it's that kind of porn is like it's it's like all mainstream porn it's made for a very specific audience it's made for like straight dudes Mm -hmm. um and so it's shown in like a very specific way exactly like how you were saying like if just two trans women were having sex it's probably much different than how like mainstream porn is depicting a trans woman and a cis guy having sex mm-hmm. um and so porn warps our realities in a lot of ways around sex even just around like heteronormative sex or lesbian sex or whatever um but when it comes to trans people the the 
fact that they have to go into like their own section um like you could never look up lesbian sex and have like a trans woman in there right people would just like fight against that so hard um or you couldn't have like gay male sex and have a trans man in there because people would be like oh why is there a vagina in my like gay male sex um and that i think plays a part at least in our like othering of trans people yeah and being like well they're not like these normal people over here having sex they're like over there in that like gross dirty category mm-hmm. um and it, it i mean i think it kind of reinforces the whole guys being into this and not being able to admit that they're into it because there's such a stigma around that kind of porn that like they can't accept or say out loud that they like that stuff because they know that it's like socially wrong yeah, and that it makes them deviant and weird or whatever. And I hate that it's that way. Like if, if trans people were respected and like thought of as a normal part of society, it would just be a normal thing that you liked, you know? Right. Right. It would be like, I went to uh, this, this queer porn film festival a couple of years ago yeah it was in brooklyn and it was totally like a diy festival where like we all just sat on the floor and then they just like streamed (laughs) porn up on the wall and amazing um yeah a whole bunch of rad people were there like jizz lee and stoya and Mm -hmm. but the thing i love the most about that was they literally just kind of showed a film talked about it a little bit, showed a Mm -hmm. film, talked about it a little bit, and it wasn't, like, broken into these kind of, like, arbitrary categories. And so because of that, like, one film would be, like, two trans men having, like, ridiculously gay male sex. (laughs) And then, you know, like, in the next film, like, Chelsea Poe was there and answered questions, and it was amazing. And so, like, in another film, it was, like, this super sweet, lesbianic porn that took place at like San Francisco Pride and these two like super cute girls were totally like you know touching each other under their clothes and then they went upstairs and fucked and then like and then you find out that Chelsea Poe is a trans woman but Mm -hmm. like that wasn't it wasn't like the narrative revolved around her being trans the narrative revolved around these two lesbians having super rad lesbian sex (laughs) and it was just like film after film was presented in that way of like the people were allowed to simply be who they were in their bodies exactly as they were with their gender identity honored as it was and like Mm -hmm. maybe their genitals were a little bit different than you thought they were once the pants came off but like then you were like cool this sex still (laughs) seems super hot and it wasn't like a special category thing Mm -hmm. and like i I so want more of that me too i mean that kind of queer porn would do so much to just normalizing it Mm -hmm. like seeing i think if people who like hated the idea of sex sex with trans women actually saw like trans women having sex in porn like in a in a way that they naturally would (laughs) yeah yeah in a way that they actually would instead of like in a way that's for like men Mm -hmm. i think uh they would see that it's actually much different and actually something that they would probably like like it's it's just like sex between uh, like for instance um uh a trans woman and a cis woman i I think is much more similar to sex between two cis women than it is between like sex between a cis man and a cis woman like it's just god yeah it's it's so gay like it's it's so it's so lesbian yeah it's so so, lesbian it really is is. and i people just have this really warped 
idea of, of what it looks like. Like, if you actually see it, it's, like, it's clear that it's very queer and very um, lesbian. I mean, yeah, I don't know how else to put that. Yeah, and, like, that even just ties to, like, when we're thinking about kind of, like, mainstream lesbian porn versus, mm-hmm. like, porn made by lesbians, you know, oh, it's yeah, like, exactly. it's not to say that there aren't lesbians out there who aren't like super high femme with long nails who fuck each <laughs> other the way that you see in like, you know, Pornhub type lesbian porn clips. Yeah. But that's like such a small part of the much bigger story. And I, I often exactly. think people are so shocked when they go to something like Crash Pad, for instance, where it's like lesbians and queer folks filming lesbian and queer sex just however they have sex and there happens to be a camera there and like a little bit of a story around it it looks really 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 different absolutely yeah and so like that's one of the reasons why i am constantly espousing like ethical and feminist and queer Mm -hmm. porn on the show and like pay for your porn because like, I think for people who are interested in trans porn, if you've only ever seen trans porn on, like, mm-hmm. one of the big aggregator sites, then you're not really seeing trans porn. You're seeing straight people yeah. making what they think trans people look like. <laughs> oh, that's so true. So true. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it, it really is. Like, you're right. And people don't think about how strongly porn affects us in that manner. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God. Every, every, not everyone. Lots of people watch porn. Like, the amount of people who watch porn is, is ridiculous, and it, it influences our sex education in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And, like, I think it also influences what we start to see as normal representations of how we should be behaving in the bedroom. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think, like, most people would get their idea of what sex should look like before they're even having sex from mm-hmm. porn. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's no other way to get that information. Yeah, exactly, because we have terrible sex ed, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enter exactly. this show, among others. Yeah, for <laughs> get your Get your information here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things that I just kind of wanted to, like, touch on, because I think it's really interesting, and it's not something I've ever talked about on the show before, okay. is... When you first started making YouTube videos, you really just kind of wanted to like make videos about like TV shows and culture and, yeah, and like politics so and you didn't want it to be like, hey, I'm this trans expert kind of thing. Well, yeah, no, I didn't even when I started videos, I hadn't come out yet. Like even to myself, I think I was still like questioning my gender at the time. And um, I think I forget exactly the timeline of it, but I, I kind of came out early on into my channel and I never made like a coming out video. I just kind of started talking about it. Um, and those videos in particular, like seemed to strike a chord with people. And so I talked about it more and like clarified more things and found things that people weren't talking about and tried to talk about them. And so it just kind of expanded into that, but like by no means was that my goal. (laughs) Like I did, I wasn't like, I'm going to go be a trans educator now. (laughs) Like, It just happened to be a thing going on in my life that I wanted to talk about while I was making videos about my life. Yeah. And I think that's so important, right? Of just like, there's two kind of groups of people who are feeding that. One is there's really, even though it seems like there's lots and lots of conversations happening around trans and queer issues these days, like Mm -hmm. just generally in the world at large, there is still, there are still so many people who are in communities and in places where they feel super isolated. 
And so oh, yeah. to, oh, to yeah. know that there's someone like you out there who's very visible and public and articulate and talking about your experience, like for them, that feels like this, like, you know, life raft that they get to cling yeah. to, that they're not alone. But then... Mm -hmm. There's this kind of like cultural weirdness that I think we talked about a little bit in the beginning of just like people all of a sudden are like, oh, my God, there's a trans person. So now we have to just like make it all about their transness and not just yeah. like that they're a person that talks about cool things and yeah, kind exactly. of like this centering of your most like visibly marginalized identity. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely talked about this in the beginning, but I try so hard to not be, like, just a trans person on YouTube. Like, I, I really want to be known for other things. I'm like, I have insight on things that aren't trans stuff, guys. Like, listen to yeah. me. But um, when you're talking about people in, like, small communities or whatever where they, they don't have any access to this information except, like, maybe through my videos or some other stuff they find online, I get messages every once in a while that are like that, that are like, you've helped me so much you've helped me come out or or transition or whatever it may be um and that just makes me so freaking happy but they're like they're they're compared to the amount of shit that comes in every day yep. they're few and far between mm -hmm. um like they're not uncommon like i get emails and messages like that relatively um common but like it's just pales in comparison to all the rest of the shit. Like people who like you and appreciate you will reach out like every once in a while. And people who hate you will reach out every day. <laughs> like yeah. it's such a disconnect in, in how you perceive how people perceive you. Mm -hmm. Like there are days where I'm like, everybody hates me. Like yeah. everybody hates me. And then I'll, I'll get like a bunch of messages being like, thank you so much for this video. Like it helped me so much. And it just like, it's like, whoa, I, actually helping people like it's so hard to gauge how other people are responding to you yeah so that's something we talked about a little bit before we actually hopped on and i just kind of want to mention it for everyone listening of like i personally and i'm not saying everybody has to agree with me but i personally and alex you know when i was watching your videos i was just i was so excited by your perspective and how intersectional you are and the conversations you have and, and the ways that you're really making space for a variety of experiences. You're not like forcing everyone to be in these binaries and you're also kind of highlighting a lot of the ways that our cultural narratives and myths reinforce really harmful things. And so I'm watching your videos feeling so excited by these like really smart and interesting um, conversations that you're having and then like noticing that there's like 1800 <laughs> likes and like 20,000 thumbs down and then mm -hmm. when I read the comments it's just like there's one kind comment for like every hundred like shit talkers and exactly. one that breaks my heart because I don't want that to be a reason that you stop doing this because it's so great but like two <laughs> how do you keep going when like that's the when that's the shit that you're swimming in like it's just i saw that and i got so angry on your behalf i was just like <laughs> who the fuck do these people are <laughs> yeah i mean i my strategy has been to ignore it completely um i mean i used to i think a little over a year ago i was still reading every single comment on my channel and replying to most of them um I was so accessible. Like you could comment on any of my videos at any time and I would like go reply to you. And I loved that and it was it was great. And then people would make response videos to me and like out of nowhere, I'd wake up and like 300 comments on a video. And I'm like, I can't, 
that's too many for me to go through. But then I'd feel so compelled to go through it. And I'd sit there for hours, like reading all 300 of these comments and like arguing with a few of them or like just having sassy responses to a few of them. And it continued like that. And it just drained so much of my time and like the emotional energy because I just feel like shit afterwards. Um, that I just had to like stop, like stop looking at the comments, um, turning off my notifications on all of my social media things where people were constantly like sending me shit messages and whatever. Um, and that has helped a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, because so much shit happens online about me that I just don't know about. <laughs> like, <laughs> and let's keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, great, just yell into the void. Like, um, those videos that are, like, mass disliked have thousands and thousands of comments that I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And I just, I kind of enjoy that people write essays and then I never see them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and people will, like, email me and be like, well, did you see my response video? I, like, have made all these videos about you. And I'm just like, bro, I don't know who you are. Like, I just have no idea who you are. And I, I really enjoy not giving them the power of me even, like, acknowledging their existence. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just YouTube has created a culture of, of that, of response videos do really, really well. And making people angry and sending them to a video is a very reliable way to get views. Like, if you make... a a video about genital preferences, it probably won't get viewed that much. If you make a video about genital preferences responding to Riley Dennis, you gonna get a shit ton of views. Like yeah. it's, it's YouTube is made for it. It's just engineered specifically for that kind of community. Yeah. I noticed you had done this really great, thoughtful, like, I, I can't even tell you how many facts you included in this video <laughs> around like, um, transgender and gender dysphoria and how mm-hmm. like transgender is not a mental illness. And yeah. it was so thoughtful. And you had like, I don't know, a hundred facts <laughs> in this video. And it was pretty much not even your opinion. You were just like reading definitions and sharing like the APA <laughs> definitions from the DSM and like all this kind yeah. of stuff. And you had like, I don't know, 30,000 views, which in my mind is like, that's a lot. But then like <laughs> in the little YouTube thing on the side, there was a response of like transgender yeah, is a mental illness. And it had like 600,000 views. I was like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yep. and and that's I mean there's a couple things there but one of them is that I get messages from people all the time who are like I love your videos but I hate watching them because the whole sidebar is just like why Riley Dennis sucks like why being trans is the worst like YouTube's recommendation algorithm like makes it so that if you want to watch my content you have to be exposed to all of this shit to some degree Yeah, and it, that can be very harmful for like little trans people who are just trying to watch my channel and it makes me so mad that I can't do anything about that. And I've complained about YouTube to this many times, about this many times, and they haven't done shit. But anyways, so that's that's a thing. But also with my videos, I've leaned much further into like research. Like I used to just like, I would always cite a couple things, but I would mostly just be talking like um, what I thought and believed about a certain topic. And then people would be like, oh, well, you can't prove that, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, okay. And I'd make a 15-minute video <laughs> citing, like, 20 different, like, actual scientific studies. And people are still like, oh, I don't believe it. And I'm like, just, <laughs> that's not how it works. Like, it's kind of frustrating that, that no matter how much I cite and no matter, like, how many facts I use, like, people are just going to be like, nah. Yeah. Like, there, there are literally people on that trans, being trans isn't a mental illness video that are just like, 
yeah, but isn't it though? Yeah. And I'm like, did you watch the video? Like, you're not responding to anything in the video. You're not like, it just blows my mind. Yeah. Like you can't argue with some people and those people seem to be concentrated on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. I think they, they live on YouTube and Twitter and that's, yeah. that's their life. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to tell everybody who's listening, like one, please go watch Riley's super amazing videos. And like one of the other things that's really cool about your channel is you're regularly collaborating with other people like Cat Black or um, other Mm. trans folks or non-binary folks. And so it's an opportunity to just like see lots of YouTubers that are doing really inclusive, cool content. But like, I also just want to name, like I'm always telling all the listeners, pay for your fucking porn, pay for your porn, pay for your porn, (laughs) pay for your porn. Please, Riley also has a Patreon. And so if you want to make sure that this kind of inclusive, intersectional, thoughtful content is getting out into the world, like, please go to Riley's Patreon and throw a dollar or five or however much feels good um, just to help make sure that this kind of content keeps happening. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, You're welcome. that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to end if you could just share with everyone how they can find you online and stay in touch. Oh, yeah. I'm just everywhere as Riley J. Dennis. Um, J like spelled out like J A Y, and yeah, that's 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 pretty much me everywhere. I've got YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all the things. You can come find me. Awesome. Well, I will link to, of course, your YouTube and your Twitter and all those great places on sexgetsreal.com for this episode. And if you've got any thoughts, questions about our chat or anything that you'd like to share with me about other episodes, there's a contact form there. Riley, I want to thank you so much for being here with me and like just geeking out. This was just like so much fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Good. To everybody who listened, thank you so much for joining us. I will talk to you next time. I'm Dawn Sarah. Bye.